0: this uh, this morning we're going to be back over in Matthew chapter 16 and this is kind of a continuation of where I left off two Sundays ago and so this sounds a little familiar it's because it is This is kind of a part two uh, of that message concerning the church and our convictions about the church and starting in verse 16 or excuse me in verse 18 in chapter 16 it says now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the powers of hell or the gates of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth, I will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, as we... Dive into your word as we are challenged by it, as we are encouraged by it, as we are um, redirected by it. God, I pray that we see and that we will know the importance of the church in which your son Jesus bled and died for. That you purchase with your own blood how precious the church is to you. And that you're for it, not against it. And living in a world that is not for the church... As against the church, that we have an enemy in this world, I pray that we will depend and trust in you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1946, an incredible Alabama streak uh, was started. There was a man by the name of Dick Coffey, who was a student at the time and he attended an Alabama-Furman game, where the Clemson Tide came away with a 26 to 7 victory. Now I don't care about Alabama-Clemson Tide myself. A couple of you are fans. That's good. That's nice. Uh, no one cares. And but what happened though? What happened though was that Dick Coffee went to 781 consecutive games of Alabama. Alabama football, 51 bowl games, 65 iron bowls. And uh, I mean, at the end, uh, he was wheelchair to the games and he was not going to miss an Alabama game. There's also a story of what we'd call someone who is a super fan. A super fan is not just a normal fan, but a fan who is all in that's beyond a normal fan, a fan short, really being short for fanatic about your team. And that's fine. It's good to be a fan. There's teams I'm a fan of, there's teams you're a fan of, nothing wrong with that. And nothing wrong with being a super fan necessarily. Uh, but these were some super fans. And there was three friends that um, they had never missed a Super Bowl which is, you know, going to a Super Bowl, you better have some money to go to a Super Bowl. There was one man in particular that just kind of cracked me up a little bit. His name was Tom, and um, he'd gone to 55 straight Super Bowls. And in that one of the Super Bowls that he almost missed, it was the closest time he ever missed a Super Bowl, was when he was in New Orleans and on, on Super Bowl six, And he woke up that day gasping for air. He was unsure. He was not, apparently not a Christian. He was uh, he was unsure if he was just hungover, if he ate bad, or what had happened, and uh, or that he had an allergic reaction to the seafood that he had had ate the day before. But he woke and he couldn't breathe. This was in 1970. He couldn't breathe. And a police officer saw him, saw that he was in distress and took him to the hospital. He passed out. He woke up with an IV in his arm and he asked the nurse, what, what day is it? What time is it? And he realized it was still the day of the Super Bowl and that he asked the nurse if he was going to be able to make that game. He said, no, you're not going to be able to make that game. And so he thought, I'm not missing this Super Bowl over my dead body. And so as soon as the nurse walked out, he yanked out the IV, he put on his clothes, he took a taxi, he got out of there, and he made the Super Bowl uh, six. And he has gone to everyone um, and has not missed a one, him and his three buddies. You talk about a guy who was a super fan, did not miss. He was not going to miss something that he was dedicated to. Two, a super fan. Those are people who are super fans. Now, what about the church? Now there are times in which people get sick, they get ill. There are times in which sometimes, you know, church members cannot make church and they're legitimate they're legitimate reasons. Uh, there are sometimes there are doctors, there are a uh, police officers, there are firefighters that they have to miss some church because, well, they are serving the community, and and we may not always view it this way, but they're actually serving the Lord, whether they realize it or not. A part of serving their community, and sometimes they miss church because of it, right? But we see these super fans who we're not going to let sickness. Now that is an extreme example of. Listen, if you're in the hospital and the nurse and the doctor say, "You know what? You need to stay here. Don't be yanking out the IV to get here to church." Okay? Stay there. You can watch online at least now. And um you have you have a way to do it. But they were not going to miss a game. 781 consecutive games on a Saturday. I'm sure there were some Saturdays he woke up, and he was sick. I'm sure there were some things that he could have missed the game and went to instead. They may have been even good things possibly, but he was dedicated because he was a super fan. Now there is a saying, there was a saying back in the first century. The first century Jews offered a blessing to disciples that proclaimed, this is the quote, may you always be covered by the dust of your rabbi. It meant that, the disciple would follow his rabbi so closely that dust from the rabbi's feet would kick up and settle over his followers. And this offers a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That we are in such close proximity to him that we can't help but be impacted by his presence. And the real beauty of this blessing is that our rabbi Jesus actually wants to be close to us. Christians, you weren't called to just be a fan of Jesus that occasionally attends a game. We were called to be dusty, to have dust upon us by following our rabbi so closely. That being around him affects us, changes us. And when you are close to the rabbi, when you are following Jesus, the teacher, you're going to care about the things he cares about. You're going to realize that there are certain things that Jesus wants us to care about, that he wants us to be a part of, that he wants us to do. And Jesus, as we saw this a couple weeks ago, Jesus bled and died for the church. The Bible speaks of a mystery of a, of a marriage that will take place in heaven between Christ Jesus Jesus Christ and the church. The Bible calls it a mystery. He bled and died for the church. He loves his church. And one day he's coming back for his church. Now will say this. You can be in church and not be close to Jesus. But you cannot be close to Jesus and be consistently out of church. Amen? That's true. You say, I don't know if I agree with that. Because you're wrong. Biblically, Biblical get straight to the point. Remember? I'm from Ohio. We just say it, right? You can't, you can, man, you can, be in church and not close to Jesus, but you can not be really close to Jesus and not be in church. Why? Why? Because if Jesus bled and died for the church and cares for the church, nurses the church, and God has gifted the church, and and God is uh, using the Holy Spirit to work in his church and to care about the things of the church, and we're... Just kind of a, a casual fan of the church. We're missing the point of scripture and in the New Testament, as we'll see, we're missing all that God wants to do through his church. Notice in verse 19, it says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The church has been given authority and power. Power. Authority and power, what do you do with keys? You gain access, you gain access you Have you ever been in a hurry and you forgot your keys? Yeah, we all have done it. We all have done it, and maybe you have uh, a way to find your keys, maybe you put one of the the apple air tags or something equivalent on your keys because you lose your keys and you realize oh they 're in the middle of a soccer field and you 're able to find them right before they get mowed over uh, maybe um, you keep a um, um, you have a fob to, to gain entry. You have different types of keys. But at the end of the day, we have, we have our keys to, so we can gain access, so we can gain entry. Now, I have one keychain that um, I use that are, that are my church keys. And uh, I have some, also some personal keys on there. And my wife, every now and then, will say, um, how do you know what all those keys go to? And you know what? I don't. Maybe I'm just being too lazy to go through them and see what is what. But some of the keys, I know exactly what they go to. Like here in the church, there are, for whatever reason, you know, we have a master key. I don't know if you know that. We have a master key. The problem with the master key is some locks have been changed to where only one key works, and the master key doesn't work any longer. And so, um, so why don't you just get it changed? That's a good idea. We probably should do that. Um, But there are certain areas that... um, Um, you know, you got to have a certain special key for. So those keys, I don't know, they're no longer beneficial for me, right? I probably should get rid of some of them. But Jesus says the church, the church he is building will have the keys to the kingdom, giving it the kingdom authority to bind and loose on earth based on its own empowerment from heaven through proclaiming the gospel. The implications of his truth are staggering. And when we grasp that the church... And the importance of it and what it's really a part of when it comes to the kingdom, it will change our viewpoint. It will change how we view the church. It will change how we look and we view the kingdom of God. See, God's kingdom isn't here to take sides. It's here to take over. It really is. Some people get wrapped. I'm not saying you shouldn't care about politics. I think we should. But there's some idea that, man, if we had everything the way we wanted, wanted it to be politically, everything would be great. Everything would be perfect. But that's not how God works. You see, see, the kingdom's larger than just one country. It's more than just one, um, just one group of people or one town or one city. And um, it's much larger than that. Kind of give you an idea, since we're on the football theme a little bit, most people think that, When you turn on the TV and you're watching a football game that you're getting ready to watch just two teams. But it's actually not true. You're actually going to watch three teams. Of course, you have the opposing teams, but you also have a team of officials. So when you're watching the game, that team of officials let's just use the NFL for an example they have a rule book they have someone over them they have someone who's given them the rule book that will um, that has already decided what they should call how they should call it. sometimes they're not very popular um, uh, they're in um they're in the um uh, in the game because of some of their calls, but they have the team of officials. They have a higher um, someone over them. They have a higher authority, the NFL league office. They represent the NFL league office. So they're representing, so to speak, the church represents a higher authority, a higher um, something above themselves, another kingdom. And so they operate within the established view of the rule book. You don't see officials on the field asking the home team um, or a certain player, hey, do you think we should overturn this? Do you think this was the right call? No, they usually will argue or they'll throw a flag or they'll, they will follow the rule book. The rule book takes precedent over the feelings of another player, over the fans, those who are watching. And so, in football, the officials rule. They make decisions. Bottom line, what the referee says goes. And when they give a decision, they do so without hesitation. Because it doesn't matter who likes them, it doesn't matter to them who claps or boos uh, boos them. The referees are not there to win a popularity competition; they're there to ensure the uh, order and that the that the whoever whatever team plays the best and scores the most that there is a good, fair game. The church, the church doesn't exist just for the church. The moment the church exists just for the church, is no longer being a church and what it was called to do. God created the church for the benefit of the kingdom of God. The church exists for the league office that sets the rules, governance, and guidelines that determine who the church is, what the church does, and how the church is a function on the game of life. Now, one may look and go, you know what? I don't know. I think I kind of disagree with that rule. Then Here's the issue. Take it up with the Lord. Take it up with God. Because he's the one who has given the rules. He's the one who's shown us the best way to live. His ways are above our ways. And our ways are below his ways. And so he's the one giving and has given the authority. And the church is here to benefit the kingdom of God. And so God established the church to give us the keys to the whole Uh, to a whole nother realm. He didn't place us here to be popular and sometimes a crowd is going to boo. Sometimes a crowd's not going to be happy with the decision the church makes or what they say. And we see that today in today's society. They'll say, but the church is this or the church believes this and how dare you believe that. And it's not that we're here to hate the world. We're here to love. Amen? But we also are here to give the truth in love. And so we give the truth in love and sometimes the world, and sometimes even people who claim to be Christians, may not like it. And it's not that we are here to um, belittle anybody or to hate anybody. We're here to share the gospel. We're here. God dictates through his word what is right and what is wrong. Not me, not you, the word of God. And God uses the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, and help us, right? And so he has given and shown us the best way to live, to Let us know what is sin, what is not sin, and what we should do. And some people go, but you know what? I really think. But here's the thing. Nowhere in Scripture do we see where God is saying, you know, what do you think? What should I go ahead and change? Give me your wisdom. You don't see that in God's Word. That's not the way it works. And you know, there may be some things that you read and see in the Bible and go, I'm not sure if I really jive with that. And you know what? I get that. There's some things I'm like, well, you know, if you ever thought to yourself, if I was God, this is what I would do. I would just, boom, take care of something. I felt that way before as well. But then I think how much God has loved me, forgiven me, and how much grace he has shown me. And sometimes I'm glad that um, God doesn't react the same way to me that I might react to other people. Amen? You ever, put your, your, you ever thought about that? I have. And, and so whatever God binds through the work of the church, the kingdom backs up just like the NFL league office backs up the officials when they make a decision on the field. Jesus mentioned the church three times. And all three times is very important. Definitely. But what's so interesting is Jesus mentioned the, the kingdom of God 54 times. 54 times and I will say we do and we should be focused on the church and the importance of the church by all means but we're a part of something greater we're part of something greater than ourselves and so and that's in the book of Matthew alone 54 times see God created the church for the benefit of the kingdom the kingdom carries out its agenda through the church now when you read God's word and you're reading about church, it's most of the time in reference to a in, a, in the local sense. Now, there's some different views a little bit on this, and this is not something that is probably more of a secondary issue. It's not a main issue, but some will make a big deal about the universal church. And I think some of it's just a play really on more on terminology than anything. I really, I have a hard time with the concept universal church. Here's why. Because I really think when when someone says a universal church, I really think they're in reference to the kingdom versus the universal church. So God works, as we see, through individual local churches. That's a setup. But we're a part of something greater altogether. We're a part of the kingdom of God. And I think that's what we see biblically. I think that's what we see in God's word. And um, so that's just kind of a a, a side uh, mentioning here concerning the universal church. One might go, well, I believe in the universal church. Well, that's good. We can just agree to disagree. But I think more more, more or less it's usually in reference to the kingdom versus a universal church. It's just not a whole lot really to go off of, in my opinion, when it comes to the universal church. But there's a ton, a ton of passages concerning the kingdom and the importance of the kingdom of God. See, we should focus. We have to focus on the, on the kingdom and the church because they are interconnected. We can't have church without the kingdom. So the kingdom carries out its agenda through the church. And listen, the Lord is about his kingdom. That's what he's about. He's not concerned about building your kingdom. And in fact, as Jesus said, "The first shall be last, but the last shall be first, was in reference to the kingdom of focusing on the kingdom of God. And so, there's things we may do and help out another church or another mission program um, that you know we have some people go on the mission field that's not SBC related. Why should they do that? It's still benefiting the kingdom, amen. It's still giving the gospel out um, to the world and being a part of that. And so we're a part of something much larger than ourselves. So maybe you're hearing like, okay, where's the kingdom of God, preacher? Where is it at? Jesus came to implement a spiritual kingdom that the church is a part of. But ultimately, a simple definition of the kingdom is this. Where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where any place where Christ is king. Any heart where Christ is king is where you will find the kingdom of God. Is Christ really the king of your life? The Savior? The Lord? The one in charge? Maybe you're here and you claim salvation. You claim to love Jesus. And... You like the idea of Him being your Savior, but you're not really keen on Him being your Lord. Here's the thing. You really can't have one without the other. Right? Because the Lord came not to take sides. He came to take over. Over where? Your heart, my heart, my life. That's what He desires. He wants to be the king of it all. And so... And that's where we're going to find our hope, our peace, and our joy. And so the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of anyone willing to submit to God's authority. And those who defy God's authority and refuse to submit to him are not a part of the kingdom of God. In contrast, those who acknowledge the lordship of Christ and gladly surrender to God's rule in their hearts are part of the kingdom of God. So... The Jesus, how much? I want to show you two passages just here for a moment that are in reference to the kingdom of God. One's just with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, you can just write this down. I don't think I have this up on the PowerPoint. This is what it reads. Jesus said this: this is a quote, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus is one of his first messages, one of his first sayings is, repent, turn to God, the kingdom of God is near. How can you be a part of this kingdom? Well, turn with me over to John chapter 3. And there's a story about Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to read two two or three verses here. It's a great story. You should check it out. But just kind of uh, touching base on this. In verse 5 in chapter 3, it says, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, verse 6 answers verse 5. Humans can reproduce only human life, so you cannot be saved if you're not born. Imagine that. You can't be saved unless you're born. So, uh, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must... Be born again. You must be born again. And so. So God didn't establish the church. Just to make us feel good. Though I hope it does. He established the church. To benefit the kingdom. So people could be born again. Have new life. Experience forgiveness. Experience grace. And So just from what we see so far just in reference to the kingdom because I believe you can't ultimately talk just about the church and not the kingdom we see the importance of scripture of the word of God the importance of the working of the church and what I've seen in churches abroad and the general attitude of Christians abroad and some of that you know Comes into our own church as well, is that church really just isn't that important. And it should be important to the people who know that it's important. They'll have the view of, like, well, I really don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And that's true. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. Because if you had to, if that was the case, it would be a salvation by works model. And we do not believe that's what Scripture teaches. But I will say this, you cannot be a good Christian without going to church. So I don't know about that preacher. Well, hang on, we got more of a message here, okay, that we'll dive in. Now, here's some of the authority that was given to the church. And I'm, I'm not probably going to spend enough time on these that would, would do it justice, but I, but I want to. Here's some things that were given to the church, okay? And these are the local body of believers. The local, uh, local church has the authority to baptize, all right? So um, what does that mean exactly? When we baptize here, um, if we decided that we were going to baptize in a river or creek, which is always cool, by the way, or a lake. I've baptized people in a lake. Don't get me wrong. It's special baptizing up here, but there's something special about being outdoors and you're baptizing in a lake and uh, you gotta be careful; you don't lose anybody in a lake, right? You know, especially in the muddy waters here. But it's, there's something special about it; there really is. But the church was given the authority to baptize. So, for example, if I and I've had this happen before, I had a deacon who said, "Hey, I would love to be able to baptize my daughter. Let's do it. Do it. Never baptized anybody ever before. He's given authority by the church. We'll say he wasn't a deacon, but it was a parishioner He said, "Hey, I would like to baptize my daughter." And um, can I do that at church? Or if we do it on this piece of property and can I get permission? Uh, and and that would be legit. That would be legit. Like that's part of it. And we have witnesses that are there. That would be legit. But let's say um, we have a, you know, a man here in the church who wants to baptize his daughter. And they're swimming in their own backyard in their swimming pool. And the daughter goes, Dad, I really want to get baptized. And he's like, you know what? I think that's a good idea. Let's do it right now. You know, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit boom and she is baptized no authority given to him from the church is it legit no it's not not as much as you may have meant it there's no authority given and so that's what we see biblically authority is given to the church when it comes to the subject of baptism not that that man couldn't baptize with the authority given and then it would be legit. Absolutely. There's also the authority to give communion. Same idea, same principle. If you, you know, um, one evening go, honey, we need to take communion. Go get the grape juice or we'll just, you know, uh, because they're Baptists, they use grape juice. And, um, and, and they, you know, they get their, their bread or their flattened bread or they're just, you know, they grab some of the unsalted, you know, square crackers out of their, uh, uh, you know, uh, Pantry that they just bought from Food Lion, and they're ready just to do their own thing. And they just do it. Now, really, what happened is you really just had a snack. You didn't have communion. But let's say, and churches have done this before, let's say the church goes, you know what? We're going to have eight different homes, and in those homes, those small groups are going to meet, and it's something a little different we're doing, and they're going to have communion, and there will be someone who will lead that communion, and you'll pray, and you have that in your home and um, some of it may be a staff-led, pastor-led, some of it's just deacon-led or teacher-led, and it's something we're all doing together. Is that legitimate? Absolutely. Why? Because the authority is given to the local church. Authority is also given to the church to call out sin. To call out sin. Why do we know that? Because God's Word is given to us and to um, call out sin. And when we do call out sin, it's never meant to... Belittle somebody, but always with the idea of restoration. Like um, telling a brother who has gone off a wayward path that you love him, but hey, you're, you're going the wrong direction. It should always be done out of love and um, concern. And it may be a tough conversation, but that's always the heart behind it. Here's the also authority um, to, do, to do this. is the authority to judge. Oh, wait a second. I always thought the Bible says, judge not. And which is a very um, oftentimes quoted by people at times, and they don't always know exactly what they mean um, when they say that. But um, and to break it down just real quick, what does that mean? Well, the actual verse is in Matthew seven, verse one, and it says, judge not, lest ye be judged. In other words, if you're going to judge something, you better make sure that you're ready to be judged right back. That you need to take into consideration your, your own life. Now, chapter 7 goes on to read and, and to very explains that we as Christians should not be judging people who are not Christ followers. Don't be surprised when someone who's not a Christian acts like a Christian. We should not be judging them. So, yes, in that degree, we should not be judging someone who is not a believer. That's what chapter 7 is about. But on the other side, we see biblically, and we see this in Matthew chapter 18, we see this in 1 um, um, Corinthians, 1 uh, Corinthians, oh, where was that at? Um, or, excuse me, John chapter 7, and 1 Corinthians 12, technically. But John chapter 7, verse 24 says, Judge with a righteous judgment, not outward appearance. So, so, whoa, whoa. judge with a righteous judgment? What does that mean? What does Matthew 18 talk about? It's it's about when you see a fault or a sin in another believer, a brother or sister in Christ, that you should go out to them out of concern, out of love, say, hey, what's going on? And uh, that way is a way of confronting sin, and that is a type of judgment And in fact, Matthew 18 goes on even further. If you were to check it out and read it, it says if they don't listen, and it's obvious there's some blatant sin going on, you confront it, they go, you know, get out of here, mind your own business, but they claim to be a Christian, they claim to be a part of a local body, it says then you take two or three other mature believers, and you go to them again, with the purpose not to gang up on them and beat them up, right? Or take them out. No, it's to... Lovingly confront sin and go. We're concerned. This is the wrong path. You need to turn back. You need to repent of this. You need to get things right. And if it says they just kind of thumb their nose at you once again, it says it says excommunicate them. to so, whoa. And today in our culture today, when you hear that word, you're like whoa. Listen. It shows you how serious God takes sin, and how serious He takes sin in the church and unity in the church of a way of lovingly confronting sins. That doesn't sound very loving. And I see what you mean. But within the church, when it comes to Christians, God expects us to live a certain way. Now, I've been in some churches. Man, it's a gossip fest, and they're always trying to get on anyone who ever trips up and messes up and falls down. And that's not the spirit of what Scripture teaches. Because this church right here, Us, Southside, we're a church, if you're new here, we're a church of imperfect people. We're just, you know, those who, beggars who have found bread, the bread of life in Jesus, telling other beggars where to find bread. That's what we are. And uh, we're not perfect by no means. And that should not, that's not the spirit of what scripture teaches. What the spirit of scripture is teaching is when someone says, I'm a Christian, I'm involved in church, but I'm going to live publicly a sin or a life, or do certain things that's going to embarrass Christ, ultimately. That's what it's about. And I'm not going to repent. I'm never going to say sorry. I'm never going to make things right. That's what Scripture's dealing with. And Scripture's very clear. You better deal with that in a loving way. And it may not feel like a loving way at times, but that's what Scripture teaches. And we need do need more of that in our church to lovingly confront sin at times. And so that's the spirit of what we see in God's word when it comes to the kingdom and the authority that is given. So here's what we see, number two. The church is where I grow in faith, love, and service. God expects me to attend church faithfully. Are you faithful to church? If you're a Christian, you should be. Are you faithful to college football? More than likely, if you're a fan of it. Are you faithful to your job? Are you faithful to your hobby? The Bible tells us we need to attend church so we can worship God with other believers and be taught his word to spiritually grow. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 tells us this. It says devoted that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. If you're not at church faithfully, can you be devoted? No. Can you do those things? No, of course not. It's something that you must be a part of faithfully. And so that's what the early church did. That's what we should do as well. We also see that church attendance isn't just a good suggestion. It's not what it is. It's God's will for all believers. It really is. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 tells us, And let us not neglect our meeting together as a manner of of some people do. So even in the early church, there were some people not being faithful to church like they should. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And one day Jesus is coming back and we should be prepped. We should be ready. And I pray and I hope that you are. You see, it's not just enough to attend church. We should be involved in some type of ministry to others, using the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And so, um, I'm not going to turn to it, but First Corinthians chapter 12 goes into detail about about why we should be here with one another. And Scripture is very clear: encourage one another, share with one another, serve one another, instruct one another, be kind and compassionate one to another. But if you're not at church, you can't do any of those things. And my friend, you can't read the New Testament and go, you know what? Those Christians who were dying for the faith and contending for the faith, they, just, they were just there once every year or twice every year or every so often or just that they weren't busy. It was something that they were dedicated to. You see, God is building a spiritual kingdom. And as the building materials of God's spiritual house we naturally have a connection to one another. And that's what it's compared The Church is compared to a building. It's compared to a body that's inner, that's connected, that affects one another. You see, God expects me to be a member of a church. Being a Christian without a church membership home is like saying you want to be a football player, but you don't want to play on a team. You want to be a soldier, but not part of the platoon. I want... Uh, heard one lady who said, you know, I don't need to go to church. I'm a part of the invisible church. And I was like, well, you must have an invisible pastor then, too. And is the invisible pastor going to come visit you at your home or, or when you're sick? Is the invisible pastor going to do your funeral? If you're expecting uh, the TV preacher that you watch online uh, to come to your funeral and maybe you give to that church, Um, Don't hold your breath. More than likely, not going to happen. God designed the church to be something local. That's part of something greater in the kingdom of God. And I want to get to this point. So what about church membership? Why is it so important? Here's I think I have three or four reasons here. Four reasons you should be a member of a church real quick here for us. One, church membership is important because it helps define the pastor's responsibility. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them a reason to do it with joy, and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So, here's the thing. If... God's going to hold the pastor and the elders responsible for what goes on in the church and what the people do. You need to have a way that's a clear on who's in and who's out and who you're exactly accountable for. And I know some churches are not really big on what they would call official membership. And there are some people who are not big on official membership. Um, I remember hearing a group of men once I was just kind of studying alone when I lived in Marietta, Georgia. And there was a group of men that were at a, a Chick-fil-A and uh, they were talking and it was breakfast time. And there one old, older gentleman said, I'll, if you ever see my name on a roll, just let you know, I didn't put it there. I'll never be a part of a local church. I love God, but I want to be part of his church. I didn't say a word. I was holding my tongue the whole time because I didn't know the guy. But what he was really saying was this. It was like you coming up to me or me coming up to you and saying, you know what? I really like you. You're awesome, but I can't stand your wife. You're probably not inviting me over for dinner or I'm not going to invite you over for dinner. The church is the bride of Christ. It's his wife, future wife. And so that's how it's looked at. And so we see that Man, it's important because it defines a pastor's responsibility. And if there's no way to define a pastor's responsibility of who's in and who's out, then how can God hold them accountable? And when you study and you read scripture, biblical membership is biblical. To not, it really concerns me when churches do not have a clear step of someone becoming a member. Of just come Sunday morning, we don't know who's who, who can be held accountable. And so, I mean, and that's number two. Church membership gives you accountability. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches how a church is to deal with blatant, unrepentant sin, and it's missed. And if someone's not a member, how can you even bring church discipline to them? Because they can go, well, I'm not a member here. I'm just out. And there's no responsibility. Matthew 18 deals with this as well. And so church membership is a way of identifying oneself in a local body of believers. Here's number three. Church membership Is also valuable for organizational purposes. It's a good way to determining who's allowed to vote on important church decisions. And there are certain church decisions here that church membership votes. And if you don't have a way to define that and there's no church membership, and you're part of a church that has no church membership, you know what you're doing? Is you're allowing just a handful of people to make all the decisions and no one else gets any other say. Here's number four. There are over... 30 plus commands in the Bible that you cannot obey, you cannot follow unless you're part of a local church and say, that's going to be my church family. That's where I'm going to love and be loved. That's where I'm going to serve and be served. 30, 30. And so I know sometimes we have people that are watching online and they're unable to make it work. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're more homebound. I get it. I get it. And that's not really what I'm in reference to this morning. But we need, everybody needs a local church. They say, that's where I'm going to call home. That's where I'm going to go. And I know the church building isn't the church, but it is is special just because the people who make up the church, this is where we meet. This is where we come together. And it makes it special in that regard. And so 30, 30 you cannot do. You can't obey God in. And so it helps you obey God. The Lord. It really does. Here's number four. The fourth point. Not number four on the reasons. But the church is designed to help me know God and grow in Christ. The church is an organism. It is alive. It is called a body for a reason. There's something special about it. Some have said that, and have termed it this way, that the church is really, there's three aspects to a church. It's a community, it's a corporation, and it's a cause. A community of believers, a family that comes together. That's part of it. There's a business side of the church, but it's not a business. But there are some business aspects to it, Sure. It's a cause. What's the cause? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's why we give towards missions. That's why we support local missions. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have missions. That's why we have different things going on here. And there needs to be a balance on each one of those in the community, corporation, and cause. There needs to be a balance. There's times in our life, and God uses a church as a way to encourage us to bring brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of us when life when life goes wrong and when life gets tough church was never meant to be a masquerade party it was meant to be a place where we could go and find help spiritual help like a spiritual hospital and really, if you think about it, it's more like a spiritual hospital that's on a battleship fighting a spiritual war Hence, spiritual warfare in the midst of a dark, dark world. And we're called to shine in the middle of it. And Jesus has given us the gospel about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and anyone who repents and puts their belief in Christ, will be saved. And he wants to use his people, his church, to go into the world, to share the gospel, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. That's what he wants you to do. That's our purpose, everyone. That's everyone, that's our purpose. And one day. As Scripture is clear, He is coming back again. Jesus is coming again. And I hope that you're ready. I'll end with this passage and we'll pray. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him and them with them and the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord if you're wondering what should you do with this message As we leave here this morning, well, ask yourself, does my dedication match what God is asking me to do concerning the church? Am I dedicated to the church that Jesus Christ bled and died for like God expects me to be? For some, you're going to go, well, absolutely. Absolutely. For some, it's time for you to repent of your lack of dedication to the Lord in this area and get on the right track and start letting the Lord use you again and be the kind of church member God is expecting you to be. And maybe that's where you're at in your life. He loves you. He really does. And when we feel convicted is because of the convictions that we see in God's Word. May it touch our hearts. May it touch our minds. May we let the Holy Spirit do a work in our lives. With every eye closed, let's just have a time of reflection. As the piano is playing, I just want to give you a moment to pray. How's the Holy Spirit doing with your heart this morning? What scriptures jumped out? Maybe what statement caught your attention that the Holy Spirit wants to use to show you what He wants you to do? We all have something that we probably need to work on or change. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work, He can do some mighty, some wonderful things with a willing spirit. With a little bit of humbleness. The Lord, that's what he's looking for. Are you humble enough to let him just use you in any way, in any capacity? Father, thank you for loving us. You never give up on us. There are times in which we go astray. There's times in which we get our priorities mixed up. And you continue to love us and you continue to be patient with us. And so, Lord, I pray that we will let your Holy Spirit use us to encourage, to benefit the local body of believers here at Southside. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen church. Thank you for being here. We will have a wanna tonight, so we will need to stack the chairs. Thank you all.